Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Steve Peterson. He is CEO and chairman at Waste Tracker. He's also a partner at Trust Solutions. We're going to talk to him about the world of cannabis. We're going to talk to him about the world of recycling, about SGA, like all the things that go into helping make sure that we've got a sustainable industry that is going to manage itself properly, is going to do good for the environment, for the population, uh, making sure that we're creating an industry that is you know, not, not going to cause more problems. We're not going to cause problems that a lot of industries end up running into. I think we've got an opportunity here in cannabis. Uh, I think we've got kind of a set of principles and values inside cannabis that are, are well designed for this, but we need the systems and the process and the kind of the industry stuff wrong with that. And I think it's a great, a great conversation, a great example of where we're at with cannabis. It's, you know, we're starting to really see how this works as it grows. What do we really need to do to make the industry work and make it sustainable? So with that, Steve, welcome to the program. Well, good morning, audience. I appreciate Bruce being on online with you and, and discussing this great opportunity and exciting new fields. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a pleasure to have you on. 
Before we kind of dive into what you're doing with Race Tracker today and Trust Solutions, let's get a little background. How professionally, like what's the story? How did you get into cannabis? Give us the uh, journey that you've been on. Sure. It's been quite a journey. Uh, before cannabis or BC, I like to refer to it. I, <laughs> I spent a long career in finance working for companies like Disney and News Corp and then got involved with the tech world through uh, telecom companies that we started. I'm going to date myself. And do you remember the old days of $25 a month for unlimited access? Uh, <laughs> so one of the co-founders of companies in that area. Uh, but then got involved in Silicon Valley with the numerous technology startups, which I really enjoyed for the most part of my career. Last company, I we did a financial dashboard tool for QuickBooks. So it helped uh -huh. the accountants and their clients better understand their direction, their their numbers, and uh, provide more analytics for them. Then I got involved with cannabis in 2016. I was uh, recruited to join a company called Elemental Wellness, which is a great shop in San Jose. Felt like I was really privileged to work with a um, great team that was willing to teach me this industry. And um, so worked with them for a couple of years. And uh, we had tremendous focus on quality, focus on education. And I felt that really helped me quickly learn the industry and how to communicate that to others. So after I left Elemental, went on to work for a Canadian company, a couple of dispensaries in Oregon called Terpene Station that was then bought by Harborside. Yep. So after that, I moved over to Tress Capital. Tress is based out in New York and is a venture capital firm and seeded a lot of the early investments in the industry, including SC Labs, Cannabis Now, Headset. And one of the other ones that we started in 2019 was this company called Waste Tracker to look at the, the waste problem that the industry was creating. Yeah. I'm curious, just coming out of tech and Silicon Valley and, you know, some of these other industries, you know, getting into cannabis, what, what did you notice? I mean, what sort of transferred well, what didn't transfer well? I mean, I always, I always find there's a little bit of a reorientation process that people go through in getting involved in cannabis. What was that like for you? Well, it was interesting. I, you know, if you separate, if you step back and, and separate the product from the, you know, the discussion, obviously we're talking about a plant material, agricultural yep. material. But what I found was interesting was, you know, know, the different ways we could reach the consumer. And I think that still holds because I feel like uh, as an industry, we were starting very early in terms of how to identify with the consumer. And we were using products like Baker, which in, in the early days yep. was a great CRM solution. And so I was always enamored in terms of looking at, at the analytics of how our, who are our customers were. And that, that was one of the first transformational pieces is everything I was told was it was the old, you know, um, pot smokers. But then we really started focusing on the women buyer and the age groups of buyers and, and trying to really understand their needs and their wants and how it ref we reflected it on the retail stores. And when we did that, especially in Oregon, it really changed the profile of, of the services we provide which I was very excited by. And then it allowed us to introduce more shopping cart opportunities and things of that nature. So I feel like tech has always been there and a big part of it. And obviously a big part because it's been driven by regulations. Um, yeah. That was a big driver in terms of uh, dealing with it. And like the rest of the startup world, there were a lot of failures. There were a lot of uh, good tools that were implemented in the industry and have been successful. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, I'm curious for you personally, anything that you had to kind of change in terms of, I don't know, your approach, your strategies, how you lead, you know, how you communicate with folks. I mean, what did you have to kind of develop in working in the cannabis world? I think the biggest issue was accountability. 
I felt like the, the industry was very light in terms of planning and setting goals and, and it was more reactive in the marketplace. And that echoed throughout the organizations that I work with. And so basically, I felt like it was really key to help the people that were involved in these companies in management or supervisor roles or even down at the line staff that they understood they had a future here. And it was, and we tried to create an environment that incentivized them to learn at their pace and speed and get rewarded for it. So, you know, we were very clear in terms of like hiring uh, bud tenders. Like, look, if you get through these training programs, we'll escalate you as fast as you can because I viewed it. It made them more valuable, which made us as a company more valuable to the consumer. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about sort of waste tractor and, and mm-hmm. how that's kind of playing into the industry. So it, when we talk about you know, sustainability inside cannabis, like what are the categories or what are the things we're looking at? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is the amount of waste the industry generates. In fact, that's how we got involved in it. One of my colleagues, Jeff McCutcheon, the CFO, CPA, had attended a, a conference back in late 2018. And the, and the leaders of that conference were talking about the, you know, the 2019 world of cannabis and how nobody was addressing the waste issue and how much waste is generated. In fact, I saw recently 150 million tons of waste is being generated currently by the industry. And what, so, what is the waste mostly? Like, when, is this this mm-hmm. byproduct of the agricultural process? Is this, the, I mean, where where do we create waste inside cannabis? Well, it's it's frankly all the stalks. It's all the it's all the biomass that hits the floor. It's the the root balls. A lot of uh, growers uh, swap out their dirt. Yeah. Uh, it's the water waste. In fact, we saw examples in San Jose where water was being flushed down into the um, pipes, into the sewers, uh-huh. and that was actually changing the pH levels of the streams in San Jose. Yeah. So there, waste was all over the place. And frankly, also the bigger thing was all the recycling, packaging waste yeah, that we had exactly. to incorporate. I mean, yeah. before a customer could leave our store, they had to be in a certain bag, and then it had to be in a childproof bag. Uh, we had to go through lessons on how to open up those bags for the for the customer, so they knew when they got home they didn't have to cut it open. They yeah. knew how to use their thumbs properly to get it in there. Yeah, but that was a ton a of plastic that we yeah. that we had to go through. Yeah. How about the processing side? I mean, are you looking at um, you know all the like the extraction methods and things like that? I mean, I, I know there's various kind of byproducts of that. How how does that play into things? Large, because I mean, when you think about it, what do you, you know, especially when you're using chemicals and everything else around it, that's creating a big problem. Yeah. Right. And frankly, the regulators have not been real clear in terms of where all this should go. Yeah. Right. So when we set up Waste Tracker, one of the things is we did is we took a lot of the green waste to a recycling facility that was using processes to basically digest the waste and turn it into compost. So that was one of the more advanced areas. Here throughout the rest of the California, and, and now I'm in the Midwest, we don't see that kind of um, connection between growers, manufacturers, and then finally the recycling facilities. It's been all dumped into, a, into a landfills, which is, is creating a problem. And then California, effective 2022, now is mandating that food waste and everything else be properly recycled. So there is an effort out there, but as an industry, we've kind of just thrown it out the back door. And yeah. uh, that, to me, that creates a long-term sustainability uh, issue. Yeah. 
And is this, I mean, I guess, is this different than other industries? I mean, I, I can't imagine, I guess I'm assuming that other industries have kind of all these problems, you know, any particularly anything that's kind of agricultural based or, you know, you've got this kind of agricultural element to it and then they're processing packaging. I mean, wait, how does this, how is this similar or different than other industries in terms of, you know, sustainability issues? Well, it's similar in some ways in that, for example, we had meetings with the California governor office on this whole topic back in uh, 19. And the number one thing they wanted us to help try to solve was plastic waste. They didn't care about the green waste, which was surprising. Um, But plastics were a bigger problem for them because obviously we could no longer ship or export our plastics to other countries. Okay. So that was the number one issue that they faced. On the green waste, I don't think people really understand the importance of separating their waste and what it can do. For example, like stalks, or as everybody on this call would know, is very fibrous and yep. it doesn't break down in, a, in composting that well. So what a lot of landfills do is they separate it, there's what they call transfer stations, and they separate yep. that waste and then send it to the landfill to rot. So one of the things that we were looking at in 2020 was how could we repurpose that stalk waste? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we looked at water waste. You know, couldn't we pick that up? And frankly, it's water is water. And couldn't we use that for on tomato fields and other agricultural areas to repurpose that uh, that water resource? So there's examples. I think as an industry, we've been so focused on getting licensed. Right. And that <laughs> yeah. was, you know, and, and when you think about it, in fairness to everybody, they were just trying to survive. Like, do yeah. I have a license or do I not? Does the city approve it? Right. That I'm in. And why not? And so I think people are now taking a deep breath in the industry. And I think are coming to the reality like, okay, things are settling in sort of, except for <laughs> a little bit. compliance lawsuits that are all over the place. Yeah. How do we now, how do we move forward? And, and we're seeing that, you know, certainly a trust is seeing it in two areas with more and more consolidations that are going on, right? But I also think this year, this 2022 is going to be all about the consumer. And how do we, how do the brands make that con- new connection with the, uh, with the growth? growers and the manufacturers products. And, and I think that's where as an industry, we got to start thinking and start implementing to survive. Yeah. I guess at some level, I feel that this kind of comes down to economics, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of how do we really account for or assign kind of the true full life cycle costs of some of these things, right? Like if we're going to if we're gonna price our cannabis, right, it has to include the cost of you know, processing the waste, you know, making sure that we're getting it back to uh, an even state for the environment. How is that system working right now? Like, are, how are we capturing the real cost of, of agricultural process, the processing, you know, incorporating that into the cost structure of these companies, into the actual price M Canada products? Where is that happening and where is that not happening? Yeah, no, it's great. A great question. So, I mean, we call it seed to grave tracking, yeah. right? Right now, everybody's focused on seed to sale. And in fact, frankly, that's where the loopholes are in the system is, and we can talk about in a little bit about how waste is winding up into the black markets. Yeah. Um, but we've seen examples throughout the country. For example, in Oregon, there's a company called P3. I got to work with where they would pick up all the plastics and they did, and basically they created these little cardboard bins that consumers can drop their plastics into. And then they would pick them, wash them, delabel them, and then frankly, resell them back into the industry as new packaging or as, right. as recycled packaging, which I thought was uh, was a great move. Uh, we've looked at uh, stalking companies. Um, Restalk is an example where they're working on plans to pick up all the stock waste for free. And then they want to turn it into other products, like such as paper and materials. Mm-hmm. We looked at it as well in 2020. We we spent some money researching hemp and and cannabis stocks. The problem is, for 
if you think of the production cycle, is where, as we like to talk about around in politics these days, you have to know that you have a predictable supply, right, to yeah. be able to, to afford the equipment that's going to be needed to deliver those products into the new markets. So could we not, yes, yes, we can take stocks and convert it into pet bedding, okay? Equipment out there that will do it or new packaging materials are out there that we could do it. Problem is, is getting a consistent production line uh, and close enough to where the growers are so that you can decord it properly and then and then uh, package it. But even at that end, the, the price that you're gonna get is, is peanuts, right? So you really, yeah. you know, when people are picking up cat litter, what are they willing to pay for cat litter just because it comes from a cannabis stock or a hemp stock versus yeah. the other stuff that they they sell through Walmart? Yeah, yeah, it does seem like that a lot of this comes down to what people are willing to pay for. <laughs> no, in California, Bruce, the what the things they did is they put a redemption value on all cans and aluminums, right? And that spurred the idea of recycling your cans and bottles and everything else in the state. Unfortunately, that end of the market is dried up and the state's still collecting those redemption values, which annoys a lot of people. But uh, that's how you create an incentive. And so our whole thought was, how could we, frankly, buy the waste from these processors, right? Yeah. And then have enough margin, obviously, to turn it into uh, new products. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. And how, I guess, how much of this is kind of government? You know, we need to do this through government and kind of regulation and, and you know, imposed systems versus educating consumers, creating consumer demand for sustainable products. I mean, where where do you see the most effective dynamic around that? Yeah, I... I Personally, and I've, I've been reviewing this issue for the last two years, when you ask somebody to increase spending on compliance costs, the tendency is to do the minimum, okay? And that's what we realized when we launched Waste Tracker. People were not willing to spend as much on compliance as, or as little as they had to, right, to meet that requirement. Where the shift has got to come, and this is where we're working, is how can we drive the consumer to expect the more transparency on their products and how it's what that contribution that company is making to the community and recycling and sustainability, et cetera, and have that be the driver. Because I think, frankly, marketing spend is more powerful than compliance uh, yeah. spending uh, requirements. The state, the state, it also, by the way, has failed. And this is one of the Achilles heels of our, of our industry. This, I mean, recently in late 2021, the state of California was sued because they're not enforcing compliance. Yeah. And in compliance, and that was part of the issue we realized is the metric system, all you had to do in metric was designate something as waste, but the operators knew that nobody was checking on their waste. Like, did you provide evidence that it got to the proper landfill or recycling facility, right? And so that's how it wound up out the back door into the into the black market. And so that's why we, you know, we were like, okay, we're we're, you know, we're we're trying to sell ice cream to an Eskimo, and this is not, you know, they don't want that extra eyeball uh, because, frankly, that's how they're getting around the regulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a funny. We kind of need both the the market or the consumer education and. Uh, at least the, the enforced <laughs> process is stuff to have a uh, regulatory system that's not being forced and people are starting to game, you know, that never leads to good outcomes. But so where do you see, well, I guess talk, let's talk about Waste Tracker and how, how you're kind of approaching the industry with this issue. What are you trying to do with Waste Tracker? Give us, give us a little insight. Yeah. So we started Waste Tracker in 2019 with our goal of uh, helping solve the last mile, right? 
of uh, compliance reporting. We had a whole system that was connected to landfills and recycling facilities and all the reporting. And as we just discussed, the, you know, the compliance part of it, brands were interested in it. They experimented with it, but they didn't want to fully embrace it. And so what my team and I worked on in uh, 2020 and 2021 is looking at these various recycling opportunities out there. And then what we started really honing in on is this whole idea of sustainability and ESG. And going back to what I said earlier, people didn't, we couldn't predict the volume of how much is out there, right? To turn it into something positive, right? So we said, we got to start at least tracking or finding a way to track what that waste, those waste streams are in terms of um, the amount of biomass and the, and the, and where it's being generated. Okay. And so what we started focusing on is, well, let's just do something very simple. Let's give clients the ability to at least share what their recycling efforts are. I live now here in Ohio after 34 years in California and recycling in the state of Ohio is at like 26%. Okay. We're in California, they're requiring 75% recycling. Yeah. Right. And well, why is that? It's because we have more land and I guess we can consume more landfills than <laughs> California has. Right. Yeah, the bottom line, point. right. It's economics. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what we want to do is encourage, even within the state of Ohio, we're launching a campaign with uh, several nonprofits here in the state to work on, you know, the compliance and sustainability and recycling efforts down to the county level. Not trying to shame people into it, but we want to make it a positive to say, like, look, well, Cleveland's doing more on uh, uh, plastic recycling than, say, Cincinnati is, et cetera, right? And then and then go from there. And so, and by that, it it just kind of it's giving some transparency and some data. Mm-hmm. A little bit of uh, maybe a little bit of public comparison. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it, it does. I mean, we, we, you know, we have to recognize that we we're responsible, right? Yeah. And we pro- we produce these products, and here's a way to do it. Now, here's the benefit. We started studying this whole environmental social goals, which is a, a subset of the UN sustainability goals that were published in 2015. And what we want to do is how can we help, again, when we look at 2022, I think it's going to be about M&A, and I think we're getting into the world of a new consumer, I call it Consumer 3.0, all right? And Mm -hmm. those consumers are really identifying with what the brand is. We're seeing in other industries, especially the beauty industry, where they're looking at the products and saying, does this product represent me and the people who make the product, do they represent me as a consumer? And so- Again, baby steps. Let's first start talking about recycling and how we're doing it and how we're diverting waste and how we're using recycled paper and we're using organic products and et cetera, et cetera. Let's put in a place that allows us to validate that claim, right? And then allow that brand to share it with the consumer because I feel that that will help them greatly differentiate themselves from many of the other brands that are out there. And how, what's the business model for Waste Tracker? I mean, at the end of the day, how. Do you look to make money? What's what's the growth? What kind of role do you want to play in the industry? Yeah, so Waste Tracker is is primarily a software company, and that was part of when we launched. And we launched in 2019. Our clients were saying, "Well, I'm sort of interested in the software, but can you take out our trash?" We we're like, "Okay, we'll take out your trash." So you you know, as a new business, you do what you can to to get the customer's business. <laughs> but but at the core of it, we are a software company, and we're now outsourcing any of those other. Uh, service-related uh, products, and we feel it's we're positioning our company going forward to really focus on this sustainability and recycling reporting and brand value creation. I think that's the important thing. Okay, it's much easier for me to convince somebody to help their brand than it is to talk about their waste compliance. Yet yeah. we can do both under the same umbrella. 
And so that's an important transformation that we've made in in 2021 with the company. And as we've seen the uh, markets evolved. Yeah. And so who are you working with? What what types of companies? Like where where are you finding traction in the industry? Yeah. uh, Growers, uh, manufacturers, uh, some retail at this point, because they're a little bit more upstream, right, Mm -hmm. uh, from, from that process. But there's a great deal of pressure on brands right now. And that's where we're seeing that this is an opportunity to help them in a positive light. Yeah. And where are they seeing the real benefit? Is this just they're being able to communicate to their audience in terms of values and things they're doing and kind of results that they're they're kind of generating in terms of sustainability goals? Yeah, there's there's multiple things. Meet with so many brands and and there's there are a number of issues that keep coming up, right? Social equity, right? Yeah. Community involvement recycling. And so that's the reason why we put together this ESG program to basically highlight. And I'll give you some examples. For example, like on the environment side, we talk about climate change and and water and waste and pollution and things of that nature. On the social side, we talk about their impact in the community, right? Health and safety, employer relations, diversity. And governance side, you know, we're, we're talking about diversity of the board, company structure. As many on the call know, a lot of these companies were started, you know, by women, can mm-hmm. be minorities, and they're not doing anything to celebrate that difference and reach that audience. And so we feel, that, you know, by rolling out this ESG, which stands for Environmental Social Governance, that we're positioning them to be successful as a brand and reach that consumer. Now, on the tail end of this is we're also working on with a blockchain company and we're hoping to have this product ready by the end of january to embed that claim that they make and make sure it's verified Mm -hmm. but embed that claim onto the blockchain so when it's scanned into a qr code the consumer will be able to immediately see where it came from how they handle it what do they stand for how it was transported and how it read to them and then mark Did it work for them or not? Uh, Over the weekend, I was watching Sanjay Gupta was talking about uh, weed and autism. And we got to remember that parents are sitting there struggling to capture all the information about the strain and grown and THC levels and terpene levels and all that information that has an impact on, on on the customer, right? That's the that's where we're setting our sights on for 2022 is work with the growers, work with the manufacturers to capture that information and frankly, help them differentiate themselves from the other companies. Our partner uh, did a deal with a group of humbled growers late last year that are going to use the technology because uh, they feel that their biomass is being priced as all the other generic biomass. And they feel by incorporating this technology, they can get more per gram than they are currently getting because they have a better quality. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that changes the whole ecosystem to me in terms of how we present products today and going forward. Yeah. What what are the things that are, I guess, working against this system? I mean, are, are there obvious kind of forces at play that make this more difficult? What would make it uh, tougher is, again, the concern about disclosing too much. I think as an industry, we still have um, people from the old days that want to stay off the grid as much as they can. Okay, And I think, unfortunately, they're dinosaurs. I think the new, you know, the world we're heading into with consolidation, brands like Cresco Labs, Harborside and others, they're owning all components of the ecosystem yeah and because full, full, and they're frankly want to yeah. control 50 plus percent of their shelf space for the yep. consumer so i think it's more 
pressure on the independent growers, et cetera, to want to find ways to differentiate themselves uh, versus that um, that standard. Yeah. What any um, anything that you're looking at in terms of you know changes of regulation, legal system, I and mean, what what are the kind of things that mm-hmm. either you're kind of paying attention to or you hope that's going to happen that you feel is really going to help this effort? I think one of the biggest things I think metric is is at risk. We saw in Oklahoma last week where a judge ruled that um, state can enforce can force operators to work with only one system. Okay, yeah. metric as we know has holes. Okay, yeah. it was put in in a rush. If you think about it, to, to deliver products to the states to help them with compliance and enforcement. Right. When I start thinking about blockchain and the benefits of blockchain. What better evidence to be able to see the claim and click on the document? So let's just say they said they recycled it. And you can provide the document that shows the actual way bill that showed us it was taken to this recycling facility. There it is. No more of this. Trust my words in metric, (laughs) right? But there's the click the link and and there's there's the image. So I, I think we could be looking at a major shift in terms of how the states look in enforcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think in 2022, but I certainly think by 2023. Yeah. And uh, any big goals that you have for the business in terms of new things you're working on, new things coming out? What's your roadmap look like? Yeah, the roadmap is is right now for us is we're completing a, a, a licensing and partnering deal with this blockchain company. We feel it's a, um, a great opportunity to combine these ESG values onto the block. We're also working with some new partners on what does this mean for the world of third-party verifiers, right? Mm-hmm. Because we do not want to encourage greenwashing. We want to make sure anything that's posted on the blockchain is evidenced, right? And so putting in the procedures and SOPs that these brands and companies can follow to ensure that they are um, meeting the highest level of standards. Yeah. Steve, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Waste Tracker, more about Tress, what's the best way to get that information? Yes. Um, there are two things, by the way, on ESG, uh, Tress just announced a, a, a product called TressDeals.com. And that's for if you're ESG centric or not, but hopefully you're ESG, we can yep. introduce you to other ESG investors. I can be reached at Wastetracker at uh, steve.peterson at wastetracker.com. It's W-A-S-T-E-T-R-A-K-R.com. And uh, be glad to, uh, or just go to our website and, and send me a message. And we're glad to connect and follow up uh, on, uh, on how we can help your brands. Perfect. I'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes here. So people can get that. Steve, this is a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Bruce, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad we were able to have a great discussion about, uh, you know, things that we can take action on in the new year. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.